0: Business and People. Your host Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Hi everyone, this is Walt Bayless. I'm the host of the Business and People podcast. Today I am in Star Shock. As I'm talking to the Brad Pitt of the track, <laughs> a two-time Olympic champion and now CEO of RunGum. He's been sponsored by Nike. He's now sponsored by Brooks Running Shoes. He is the man of the hour and I am thrilled to have on the show with us, Mr. Nick Simmons. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. A pleasure. Man, that is a heck of a resume. I am absolutely loving reading your bio. I mean, All the way through college, right up through uh, two Olympics, was Beijing and London. Man, that's been an amazing journey for you. It was, you know,
1: the average length of a pro runner's career might only be two, maybe three years. Um, I ran professionally for 12 years, so I had great team behind me. I was fortunate to be blessed with durability and I just loved it. I genuinely enjoyed my job and I always said I was going to do this until the wheels fell off and about my mid-30s, early to mid-30s, things started kind of falling apart and right. I was injured more than I was healthy and, and, and that's when you kind of lose the, you know, the passion and fun of it. Um, and so I decided to retire in 2017 at the age of 33
0: with some amazing, uh, um, um, medals and, and, stats behind you, mate. I mean, I was just reading about the, uh, the silver in Moscow where you dedicated mm-hmm. the, um, the, the medal to gay and lesbian friends. I, I noticed about, uh, you know, so many, uh, Olympic accolades, personal bests. I mean, to retire in your mid thirties with that kind of resume behind you, dude, that's like the pin up on the wall. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: it was a good career. You know, I look back on it and I made a lot of sacrifices, made a lot of good decisions, some bad decisions. But overall, uh, I, think I, I think I handled it well. You know, yes. a, a short, stocky kid from Idaho goes on to make two Olympic teams and win a world silver medal. I think if you had met me when I was a kid, you never would have pegged me for the, the kind of guy with the, you know, the grit that it takes to get that far. But I just, like I said, I love the sport, one. Um, and I, I learned to work. I learned to appreciate a good good, you know, day of work. Um, and more than anything, I just felt like I owed it to my younger self to see how how far I could take the sport. Oh, um, wow. And along the way, along the way, I just had a ton of fun. I really if I if I could say I did one thing right, I built a great team from my coach to my manager to my mentor, my sports psychologist, my massage therapist. Um, you know, when you're doing something big, like trying to make an Olympic team, there's a lot of people that want to come along for the ride. And I found the best people possible to, to be part of my team. And I, I couldn't have done it without them.
0: I'm going to dig into two things there, mate, because I'm really fascinated by building that team. But I also want to just wind back a little bit where you said, it, you, you know, the grit to get to those kind of levels. What did it take in terms of a mindset? Uh, what was going through your head to be able to, to set that goal and achieve it?
1: I think that, you know, everybody finds motivation from different sources. Some of us find it uh, more ego-driven. Some of us find it monetarily. Some of us find it, you know, for intrinsic values. And at any given point in my career, I I could very easily pinpoint exactly what was the driving force. When I was in high school, it was just proving people that I could, you know, what I was capable of. I wanted to prove to people that I could be great at something. Um, In college, it it was more just because I wanted to – you know, I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted—I had doubters, people that said I didn't get to go to a D one school because I wasn't good enough. I wanted to prove them wrong. And then, as I transitioned into a pro, it was proving my old coach wrong, who thought I would never make it as a pro. Wow. Uh, it was ego driven. It was monetarily driven. Certainly, in the later part of my career, it was very much monetarily driven. Um, and then towards the latter part, and today, it's—it's it's just all intrinsic and, and how much I love staying in shape. So, you know, at any given point, there's a lot of different motivators. If I really had to peg it down, what got me through the toughest parts and to the pinnacle of my career, it was ego and money. Yeah, and, cool. And I want to be honest to all the young men and women out there: it's okay to be driven by ego and money. Absolutely. A lot of really great things have happened in this world to this civilization by people who are driven by those two things.
0: I completely agree. It's like it's 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 a, a pulling forward force, isn't it? When you go, it Look, can be. It can I'm be. Do it. You have I'm to channel it
1: right? You got to harness it for good and not evil. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it makes for the happiest uh, existence. I certainly am happier now that I'm less ego and less money money focused. Um, but I'm telling you as a young man, um, just proving people wrong, impressing women and making money was, was pretty much my reason for, for being. Uh, and like I said, I wasn't necessarily happy having that being my primary purpose, but darn it, it leads to some great performances.
0: I love it. I love it. And Impressing Women, you certainly did that well with Dating Paris Hilton. I mean, that's, the, <laughs> that's a tick in the box as well. So you've, you've uh, ticked a lot of boxes there, mate. So um, uh, can I just drill into building the team? So you were saying as you were, as you were uh, you know, really achieving that top level of success, you brought the best people around you. A lot of people wanted to come along for the ride and you, you crafted that amazing team around you. Did you handpick them or did they come to you? How did that team yeah. come together? I would say I handpicked my
1: mentor. Um, I call him coach Sam. He was never my, my coach in the sense that he was holding the stopwatch or riding workouts necessarily, but he was the guiding force behind my career. And I met him at Willamette university. He was the head strength and conditioning coach. And I just, I recognized that he had been very successful on the track himself. He was very successful in business. He had a beautiful family. I'm like, this guy gets it. And we just formed a bond really quickly. Nice. When I turned pro in 2006, the head coach for Nike Frank Agliano said, what do you need to be successful? I said, make sure Sam's around as much as possible. And so Sam was really, you know, through all the coaching changes, the sponsor changes, through every up and down, he was there for me. And um, so I I would say I handpicked Sam and then Sam went out and built the team. So he helped me find the coach. He helped me find the the sports psychologist, the massage therapist. Um, He was there uh, helping me build out the team and, and we together built out the team. Um, but but he was really kind of the guiding force there
0: that's so cool that's uh, that's amazing and so now you've transitioned into business and you're the ceo of run gum which is obviously yeah. an amazing uh way of of giving energy and a boost not just to athletes but anyone in a in any environment they just pop a piece of gum in their mouth and they've got caffeine there you and all go. that sort of Stuff just like so- an energy
1: drink but you don't have to refrigerate it you don't have to have all that calories and and sugar sloshing around your stomach it's just a quicker cleaner way to get energy
0: I love it how did you go from the track to this as an idea and then grow your team you know to be able to to produce run gum as you have done well one thing you know that I I will give Sam and I credit
1: for is that from an early stage we recognized that one the average like I mentioned the average age of uh, of retirement for most track and field runners is in the mid-20s and that I was always just one twisted ankle or, or bum knee away from really you know, losing out on that, that source of, of income. So yeah. from very early age, we were going to always try to have an exit strategy. And we were both really interested in entrepreneurial business. And so we were building businesses all along the way. But around the age of 30, I was ranked number two in the world. And I had this idea for a caffeinated energy gum. I was, I was getting energy drinks sent to me from a lot of different energy companies And I just hate, I love the way they made me feel, but I hated having to drink a big can of liquid before I worked out. I'm like, this is so stupid. I just want the stimulants. I'm not thirsty. Why am I being forced to drink something? Um, And I had studied biochemistry at uh, Willamette University. So I knew I could get those stimulants sublingually. And we kind of fooled around with tinctures and thought about dissolving strips, but it was really gum that made the most sense. There's a reason, you know, Nicorette uses chewing gum. Chewing gum, when it tastes good, it's easily portable, it has great shelf life, um, it's easy to manufacture, and you can deliver these stimulants very quickly that way. So we we made this, we found a contract manufacturer that could, could put it together for us. We packaged it, called it Run Gum, built by a couple of runners, four runners, but then, you know, 90% of the population uses caffeine. It's the most widely consumed stimulant in the world, naturally, you know, people running errands or running into the office or just, you know, doing anything active found that this could be a really great product for them. Yeah. And so we launched that in 14. Um, just have been doubling revenue year over year ever since. Uh, we're nationwide in Target, Walmart, CVS, REI, uh, on Amazon. I mean, we're we're pretty much everywhere now.
0: What's what's the 10 of it now? Give me a brag. What's the, where are you at?
1: Where are we at in, in revenue?
0: Yeah. Um, but we're
1: a private company, so we can only divulge that to investors. Okay, okay.
0: No worries, no worries. I'm safe to say that with those kind of Target, Walmart, CVS, with those kind of things. It's bigger than I ever,
1: I'll I'll just say it's bigger than I ever thought it would be, yeah.
0: That's super cool, man. And and in terms of a team now, I guess, you've got people that help you produce, you've got, you know, distribution, you've got all that kind of stuff going on. You're actually employing so many people as a direct or indirect result of putting this together.
1: Yeah, and it feels great. You know, I mean, I I feel like running is a very selfish endeavor. Um, you're you're just getting how many resources can I get? You know, how many people can I get to help me get where I want to go? Now to be able to give back to this community, this Eugene Track Town community that gave gave me so much, like you said, creating jobs and you know hopefully fueling and inspire people to make the most of their busy day. It's really rewarding for me to be able to give back to the running community and the community of, of Eugene, Oregon.
0: That's awesome, mate. So, what did you have to do in terms of knowledge base? to to move into a business field? What did you have to learn? I mean, I, I liken it as taking
1: someone who's never swim and just throwing them off the diving board in the deep end and say like, well, you're either going right. to get to the edge or you're going to drown. Right. I mean, it's the exact same thing. Because like you said, I had no background in business. I had no experience in CPG and consumer packaged goods. No, no, no experience raising money. I mean, literally every single day, it's like, well, either I'm going to learn this new skill or we're going to go bankrupt and (laughs) that's, that's startup life. And that's been my existence for the last five years. And some days it's scary. Some days exciting. Um, but for the most part, I really, really enjoy my job.
0: Do you know, it's funny, Nick, uh, I, I, I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, you're, you're stronger than you can possibly believe. And we were actually talking about going on a run. And we were saying, you know, have you ever got to the point on a long run, I know you were a you uh, middle distance track, but on a long run where you get to that, like, I don't know, five miles kind of point, you're like, I have to stop, my head's going to mm-hmm. explode. And somehow you manage to get to 10. Um, and that kind of fortitude to be able to say, I can do something that I never imagined that I could. Have you felt that to be... Uh, a really good foundation for those tough days in business. We're like, I'm either going to go broke today or I'm going to make it. Have you felt that kind of? I can do this because of your background. Yeah, you know, one of the neat, neatest statistics
1: I ever heard was a physiologist. And you know, if anyone has run a marathon, you know, you get to the end of that marathon and you're collapsed at the finish line. You think you're just a moment, you know, breaths away uh, from death. And a physiologist once told me, once you've done that, once you've run that marathon, as as horrible as you feel, as as totally. Gassed as you feel, you've probably only really exhausted your reserves by about 25%. You probably, wow. if you had to, if your life depended on it, could do that four times over.
0: Wow. That's and amazing.
1: I heard that, and I'm just like, our bodies are capable of absolutely mind boggling things. I mean, you just can't even comprehend what the human body is capable of. And That helped fuel me on the track, just pushing my limits and trying to find out what my own personal limits are. And to a certain extent, that mentality helps me in business. When there are days where I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be able to figure out how to do this. I I take some, some comfort in knowing that people have come before me that have figured it out. And I'm not the smartest, you know, sharpest tool in the shed, but people who are dumber than me have figured this out. And I should be able to figure this out. With enough persistence and enough humility to ask for help, I should be able to figure just about anything out. Um, not necessarily saying that I can execute on that, but that's what that's what's so beautiful about the the you know the working machine of a business. Any one piece in the business you know, if the, if the business was left in their hands, it would go bankrupt, including myself as the CEO of this company. If this business was left in my hands alone, it's going to go straight into the ground. But fortunately, it's not just me. It's a team of about 12 people now. And and we lean on each other. If I, you know, I don't know how to do something maybe somebody else does and vice versa. And we're constantly looking for those special cogs that complement you know our own uh, uh, weaknesses, our, our our strengths and our weaknesses. We're constantly trying to say, where are we weak, and how can we find the the skill set that we need to to complement that? Like just like a building out a football team, if you have a team of all quarterbacks, that's going to be a really crappy football team. Right. You have to have all the different pieces.
0: And how do you hire? Do you do you design the role you say, okay, I need somebody that is good in this area, you go out looking for them, or do you do you know somebody who's just amazing, talented, you know, has the right attitude and kind of teach them the new skills that they need? It can be a combo
1: of both. You know, sometimes someone just comes across your path and you just recognize them as uh, kind of person that gets stuff done and you say, we got to make a, make a role for this person. They're just too valuable to to let them walk out of our lives. Other times you need something very specifically done and you have to go possibly use a recruiter or put up a job description and really headhunt for that exact piece that you're missing. Um, you know, in a startup, you're just so desperate for talent. Sometimes, you know, you kind of have to uh, uh, basically take a shotgun approach, And, uh, and constantly be on the search for good talent, constantly be listing job descriptions. Um, like I say, we're always hiring, right? I may not have a need for you today, but we're growing so fast. I might have a need for you tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's right. And if you're the right person, there's always room for someone. And I think that's an important thing. Like in, in, in any terms of skills here, I've got a, a, a couple of young kids as well. And I'm always telling them, you'll always have a job. So long as you've got that, get it done attitude, being able to, to move stuff. forward. I'll say this. I'll say this, if you're the kind of person that never
1: say, says I can't do that, if you're the kind of person that says I will do what it takes to figure out how to, how to get that solved, you will always have a job and chances are that job's gonna pay really well yeah. because nine out of 10 people say, well, I don't know how to do that or I can't do that. And they brush it. And, and maybe they're good at something else. Maybe they're a cog that'll fit in another part of the machine. But a person that says I will figure out how to get that done will be the, the universal cog that can go anywhere in the company.
0: Awesome. So when we look at your history, in turn, you started Rungum 2014. Um, and, you know, now that that growth has just been amazing, which is, which is incredible. What was the turning point? So with the turning point when you, you hired that one person or something happened and you just went, oh my God, now we're just unstoppable.
1: Well, when I had the concept, I originally took it to my coach and business partner, Sam, who I had mentioned earlier. Um, but like I said, I was ranked number two in the world. I was spending probably six to eight months a year on the road. He was traveling with me a lot. He had a, his own family he was raising. And we recognized pretty quickly that we would need help. And so I would say we hired employee number one, who, who is a founder. His name's Nathan Woods. And he is, was originally called our chief of stuff. We had so much stuff that had to get done that we hired Nathan to do all the stuff.
0: COS, chief of stuff. He, yeah, he's
1: now our COO, a phenomenal COO. When we hired him, if I look back on the history of our business, the day we hired him is the day we decided that we wanted to be great. If it had just been Sam and I, who knows what would have happened if we had hired another person who wasn't the kind of person that could be a chief of stuff. I don't know where it would have gone, but because we hired Nathan, um, you know, if, if one day we sell for, you know, many millions of dollars, I will publicly say that. That was the moment that this all became possible.
0: Yeah, awesome, and I'm sure uh, Shane will have a uh, an amazing uh, badge on him as well from from that statement. Which should is be great. able to punch his ticket
1: wherever he wants to go if he's not super rich and wants to just go fishing all day,
0: hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, did you bootstrap? Nick? Did you did you use yeah. that money from from your sponsors? It was
1: self funded. Yeah. So originally, we launched. Um, my coach and I both wrote checks uh, founders founders seed round basically. Yeah. That got us pretty far. That actually got us about through through the first three years of business, smart cash flow, a small line of credit from the bank. And that founders fund got us through our first three years. But then the PO started rolling in from the big companies and to be able to fund those POs, to be able to cover the lag, because of course they pay net 90, um, we really needed to raise money. And so we raised 800,000 on a convertible note last year. And then this year I just closed, um, our seed round with another million dollars in our first price round. That's so, so cool. yeah. That talk about learning how to how to swim. I had never raised money before, and now in the last what eight nine months, I've raised one point eight million dollars. So that's really cool. So it's that's a that's a real feather in my cap, and it makes me feel so powerful. Um, not in an ego way, but in in a, in a I can control my own destiny. I can I can control have some more control over the fate of this company, knowing that as we continue to grow, as we continue to have more capital needs. I have that skill set now.
0: That's so cool, man. Can I ask you, Nick, like uh, this podcast is going out to people, entrepreneurs and business owners and people who are wanting to get started. And I can feel somebody in their car right now. They're in traffic. They're listening to this podcast and they're saying to themselves, yeah, that's okay for Nick Simmons, right? He's number two sprint champion in the world. You know, (laughs) he can raise money because of who he is. Can you tell me, can anybody do that? Somebody's got an idea. Yes. they oh pushed gosh, it through. Yeah. T- Tell me how they could do okay. it. So this, the people, I,
1: I go on these podcasts a lot or, or you know, talk to people a lot. Um, and they say, what's the number one thing you would tell a, an aspiring entrepreneur? And I say, learn finance. Learn how money works. Learn what factor lending is. Learn what a line of credit is learn how to you know to utilize a corporate credit card learn ra- learn how to raise money if you can't tell me what a convertible note is if you can't tell me the difference between um you know a seed round and a series a like you're going to have to learn that at some point right yeah. you need to understand cash flow if you don't understand finance it's like um it's like trying to build a house without understanding the plumbing like you <laughs> just have you can't build you can't do it right yeah. you have to understand how money works how you're going to access capital how you're going to you know move money around to make 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 the business work. So I had zero understanding of this when I started. Fortunately, my my, my business partner understood it. Um, but even so, as we were scaling the business, we still had to learn a lot along the way. But if you don't want to learn it now, you are going to have to learn it on the job. But you as a founder, you as a, as a, as a C-level executive, you will have to understand finance to have a successful business. How do you learn it, Nick? Do you go to a book? Do you go to a person? Do you reach out to someone? How do you learn it? The wonderful thing about the internet, it is it has decentralized knowledge one hundred percent. Investopedia is a phenomenal resource initially to learn you know a lot of these terms. Uh, YouTube is a phenomenal way to learn just about anything. And once you have a basic understanding and can carry on a conversation, then you go and call your experts. So we have some really great advisors, and I'm not afraid to reach out to them and call them at midnight with a question. And they're more often than not, other entrepreneurs are very willing to pass on knowledge. So once I had a basic understanding of a convertible note, then I called up an advisor and I said, okay, I want you and me to walk down like how this convertible note works. What are the terms I should be looking for? you know, I want you to play the devil's advocate and beat me up on, on a, you know, practice negotiation of raising money on a convertible note. You know, I wasn't afraid to, to really get my feet dirty a little bit and, and, and and to learn by, by doing. And then that, once I actually went out and talked to an investor, I mean, I sat down with a billionaire and asked him for a million dollars and I felt completely competent, completely able to have that conversation because I had done, I'd rehearsed it so many times. So initially start with the internet then rely on advisors and then go out and learn by doing.
0: I love that because if you go straight to the expert and you're completely novice, they don't have time for they you. They don't have time for that. They but don't it, have time. If they,
1: if they can see that you're 90% of the way there, it's kind of exciting for them to fill in that last 10% or to test your knowledge and see, I think you have this understood, but let me just let me just double check and point, maybe point out some weaknesses. That is something I love doing with young, young entrepreneurs. But if an entrepreneur comes up to me and says, I don't know anything about raising money. Can you teach me how to do it? I'm like- no. Oh my no. gosh. I'm You're like you got start, some work right? to do. Yeah, yeah you yeah. have some serious work to do.
0: So it's like, you know, self-direction for the 90%, experts tutelage for the
1: 10%. Yeah, absolutely. Does that- and 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 more often than not those experts are going to bend over backwards to help you. I I've, I've found.
0: Do you find that that's come from the track as well? I I mean, I'm just fascinated by this transition from Olympic athlete, world champion, you know, I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, 90% of what you had to do out there came from you and your experts added that 10% to get you, you know, it's a a really good analogy.
1: I mean, when you're a a professional runner, this isn't a big team where you can rely on your, on your teammates to, you know, lift you up when you have a bad day. When you're out on that track, it's you. I mean, it's, it's, it's you and, and whatever happens, it rests on your shoulders Ninety percent, right? Because you still have that team um, behind you that maybe counts for ten percent, and that uh, you know that they call it the loneliness of the long distance runner. I think it does work well in business. I do have a team I can rely on, you know, to help me out. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with me as the co-founder and the CEO, and and I like that responsibility. I've always responded well to that pressure. Um, There was something you mentioned that kind of made me think. I can't remember exactly what it was. What was it? What was the initial question? 90, 10, like getting it, you know, from coming from internally and getting the experts to top up the 10. Yeah. Something, something will trigger it in my mind.
0: We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. What does an average day look like for you now, Nick?
1: You know it's good. Um, one of the things about being a pro runner is I was on the road a lot, like like I said, six to eight months out of the year. So when I when I took over as CEO of the company, it was it was with the aspiration of spending a lot more time at home, and I do get to do that. I would say I travel maybe one week a month for kind of business and or pleasure, um, but the rest of the time I'm at home, and right. uh, I really like a structured day. So I'm up at five a.m. every single day without fail, Monday through Sunday, um, and I'm either you know on the weekends going out to play, hunting, fishing, camping. Um, Or Monday through Friday, I'll go work out. Um, I really like to work out. I think it's a great way to stimulate the brain and get things going. Um, And then I'm in the office from about nine to five. And uh, then lately, uh, one of my one of my longtime goals was to get my private pilot's license. So from about five to six, I either go fly or I study flying and and I'm about, oh, just a couple weeks away from taking my check ride and, and having that accomplishment.
0: Wow. Fantastic, mate. That's a, that's a, that in itself is a huge goal. Are you a, are you a constant goal setter? Do you constantly say? Yeah, like to a fault, probably. You no, know, I, I think that, I think it
1: can be good. Um, you know, I think it's a really uh, purposeful and satisfying way to live a life, you know, constantly setting goals. Um, but, you know, it can also be a bit demoralizing if you're not hitting your goals. So one of the things we talk a lot about Rungam is, is, one to have a goal not a wish we you know there's a the famous saying um, a, a, a desire without a plan is just a wish it's not a goal so we talk about setting realistic goals with with very solid metrics so you can have a very black and white goal did you do this or didn't you uh, timelines and, and then of course building short-term and intermediate goals to get there so I would say''m I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to set audacious goals if you haven't noticed by by some of the audacious goals I've set, I, I like to set really big, difficult goals. And some of them, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be totally honest, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to hit, but I get really uh, excited about them. And that allows me to hit the short term and intermediate goals. So a really audacious goal I had was to win an Olympic gold medal. I never did that. But I sure had a lot of fun, a lot of success hitting my smaller and intermediate goals along the way. And I look back on my career with a twinge of regret or frustration that I never got that Olympic gold medal but overwhelmingly a lot of pride and, and happiness um, that I was able to achieve nine out of 10 goals that I set along the you way. You
0: pushed it hard on the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Super cool. And uh, how do you keep yourself on track from a um, you know, goal setting point of view, from a daily you know routine point of view? Do you have an app that you use? Are you a checklist kind of guy? Like what's your productivity tool?
1: Right here. Pen and paper.
0: <laughs> Pen and paper. and I, I know
1: there's a lot of cool apps out there. I know that uh, the computers were created for a reason. I'm still a 35 year old guy that grew up with a pen and paper, and that's how I get everything done. My team hates it because they're like, "What if? What if? You know, there's a flood or something burns down." I'm like, oh, then it's all up here." You know, I got redundancy, but for the most part, I just love. I, I keep my calendar on pen and paper. I keep my checklists on pen and paper. I keep all my goals on post-it notes posted around me. Um, if it's not on, on, uh, on paper, it doesn't exist. Um, no. And then, and then I, and then to everyone's frustration, I'm sure I have everything batched through my email. I don't okay. use Slack. I don't use social media for, for anything, but engaging with fans, everything that needs to get done has to go through email or, or I I probably won't see it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And I know some people hate that, but I I prefer to just have one stop shop for all my all my work tasks.
0: It makes sense. If you lost everything, like you know, talking about the flood coming through, and you know, it's all. Yeah. If you lost everything, you lost you lost your manufacturer, you lost your your distributed uh, channel, that kind of stuff. Would yeah. you be able to get it back again?
1: Yeah, and I'd probably be able to do it in, in a quarter of the time, right? Yeah, because sure. the important thing is the knowledge and experience that I carry with me. So, um, you know. If this company went under tomorrow, say there was a huge recession and we were poorly capitalized or didn't manage our cash right, I would literally just go start another business and I'd probably be able to get right back where I am in a quarter of the time. And, and I think that's that's really, you know, you talk about empowering or you talk about that feeling of just controlling your own destiny. I get worried for some people out there that, uh, you know, that are at the mercy of an employer. And I understand that I have some people here that are at the mercy of, of me in this company as the employer. But there's something about, being, um, something about being an entrepreneur, something about owning your own business. I, if I want to get paid next month, then I know what I need to do. And I guess technically the board could fire me, but for the most part, I, I feel like I control my own destiny every day. It's not re- totally risk-free, but it's, it just feels like I manage that risk myself yeah, rather than somebody else managing
0: the risk. I've uh, my my brother was made redundant a couple of times in his career, and I always thought to myself, you know, business ownership, entrepreneurship. We own a software company, so business ownership is is so much less risk because if something's in trouble, at least you can fix it, right? You know, at rather than I, at least I can fix it or try to fix it, right? That's it, or knock the doors yeah. that you need to knock to to uh, to get the result yeah. that you need to get. That's really cool, Nick. I'm so grateful for your time, man, and and uh, I really love it. Looking at your bookshelf behind you, you've got a whole bunch yeah. of media there. Uh, I saw Gary Vee's uh, book up yeah. there. Ask Gary V. you know, I, I don't, um, I don't get the luxury of reading. So when I
1: was a pro athlete, I read everything because I had nothing but free time all day. Um, now I don't get to read as much, but, um, a lot of people in the office, they love to read entrepreneurial stuff. They love to read self-help stuff. So they pass some stuff on to me. I love Gary V. I think he's brilliant. Um, I haven't had a chance to read these ones. The new one minute manager I've told is really good. Nice. Um, if I do get a chance to read, um, you know what all i read is pilot stuff right now no. getting your <laughs> private pilot's license is a lot of work and i am seriously putting in you know at least an hour or two every single day and in, in studying right now
0: how how hard is it like is it is it the hardest thing you've ever
1: done no i've done hard i mean getting my getting my degree in biochemistry from college is probably the hardest thing i've ever done That's and that trumps even even uh even making the olympic team i'm making an olympic team is fun and if you're having fun it's not that hard yeah getting your degree in biochemistry sucked wow. i that was hard work um this is uh, this is fun because I enjoy it. I love flying. I'm I'm fascinated by what we've built in aviation. Um, so when I'm studying, I'm just kind of like, "Holy cow! This is so cool! How do we build this in just a hundred years or less?" Right? Um, it is it is a little bit tedious in the sense that uh, there's a couple things that are kind of I can tell are antiquated about the way that we teach our pilots today. Think about technology and how it's revolutionized everything. Well, that includes the cockpit and. Unfortunately, the way, at least in America, that we test our pilots, it's a lot of antiquated technology. So in some ways, I feel like they're making me learn cursive, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm never going to use this. <laughs> but uh, there are some really, you know, incredible pilots that have come before me that had to learn this. So it's, it's sort of tradition that I would go, you know, follow in those footsteps and learn and, and and again, the way they used to
0: do it in the old days. I, I love what you said before, you know, somebody dumber than me has done this. So there's absolutely no reason. I know, I know pilots that are dumber than me. I should be able to figure this out. I can get through this if they <laughs> (laughs) man again i'm so thankful for your time um can i just bounce a 60 second challenge off you nick and then i've got just a question after that 60 second challenge you catch up with a friend of yours who's been an employee for a long time and they've noticed what you've done they've been a you know a a big fan they're chewing some gum while they're talking to you (laughs) they're saying to you nick i've got this great idea i've been able to put it together what what advice would you give to that person i know you said about learn finance before but here's somebody who's kind of trying to get that step into entrepreneurialism and owning your own business. What advice would you give to that person in 60 seconds?
1: Find somebody who's done it before. And if you can't find that person, find somebody who aspires to be in the weeds with you, right? Because we we we're a founding team of three and I, I bet you at any given time over the last five years, if you were to walk into this office, one of the three would be having a really tough day, but the other two always lifted that one up or always kind of shouldered the work if we could. Um, there were, there were curve balls that were thrown our way that maybe Nathan and Sam were like, I don't know how to get out of this. I'm like, I think I can figure this one out. And there were curveballs that were thrown away where I'm like, we are all going bankrupt. This is never, we'll never figure our way out. But one of them figured it out. So, um, I really, I really believe in having a founding team, um, with skin in the game and passion for what you're doing. Uh, I think that that, for most startups, it's probably what's going to mitigate your risk the most.
0: Cool. And that can come in terms of a co-founder or it can come in terms of a paid mentorship or, you know. A yeah, advisor. a lot of ways to do it. A lot of ways to do it. Very cool. Thank you, man. And, and just last one, last one, Nick. And again, thank you so much for your time. You're heading towards your pilot license. You've got Run Gum in every major retailer all around the world. What are the big goals that you're putting out there right now that you, you're just going, I don't know if I'm going to get there, but this is how we're going to get there.
1: That's a really good question. I think just doubling down on what I've already done. So I want to get my commercial pilot's license. Why? I have no idea. I'll probably never make any money doing it, but I just, I, I, I want to continue pushing that goal. It's for that um,
0: plane full of run gum that you want to get out. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, you know, with run gum, I don't think we're even close to content. We want more shelf space, more doors, bigger brand visibility. Um, with my, my fiance, I'm getting married next year. So, you know, that's a huge goal of mine is just to to be the best husband I can be. Awesome. Um, fitness wise, I'm always setting goals. So it's kind of funny. I think as we get later on in life, you know, as 20, as a 20 year old, I, I was scatterbrained. I had a hundred different interests and I didn't know where I wanted to go for work. I didn't know where I wanted to go for my hobbies. Now I'm like, I've got like four or five things and I really don't want anything else in my life. I just want to continue to double down on those things that I know I love, I know I'm passionate about and just be the best husband, the best fisherman, the best businessman, the, you know, the best at the things that I know I'm really passionate about.
0: Nick Simmons, the best in the world at being—I <laughs> you know, don't know about that—but at, at, no, at, mo- at least I'm
1: working on it.
0: You are yeah. the best in the world at being Nick Simmons, brother. May thank, uh, thank you. you so much for your time, Nick. Uh, I am super excited to to see the journey with RunGum. Uh, I look forward to hearing about the the horizon, what it looks like from uh, from way up there in the in the pilot seat. And again, mate, thank you so much for your insight, your inspiration, and all the best of success. Can't wait to get you back on the show in another year and hear about some of those other doors you've knocked. Again, thank Absolutely. you so much for your time, man.